Hey, how's it going? This is Cathode Ray Mission. I'm Randy Heyer coming to you from Oklahoma City and from Berkeley, California. We got Will Scoville. Hey there. <laughs> and how's it going, everybody? Glad to be back again. We're mixing it up this week. The format has changed just a little bit. Once again, we've got two movies instead of one this time. So look out. Uh, today we got uh, Peter Greenaway's The Baby of McCone. And we've got uh, Larry Cohen's The Stuff. The stuff. <laughs> uh, and before we get into all that stuff, though, we're going to talk about uh, something our respective local theaters are doing. Real quick, I'm going to pass it off to Will. Yeah, so uh, a lot of local independent theaters are doing um, kind of what they call like a virtual cinema. Um, and this is kind of a, in the wake of, of uh, you know, lockdowns across the state. Uh, across the the country uh, and states across the country, um, a lot of folks are a lot of theaters are partnering with uh, film distributors and saying, you know, you can essentially rent uh, the the a new movie to stream uh, in your home, and fifty percent of that ticket or some percentage of that ticket will go to your local independent theater. Uh, so it's a really good program. It's a really good way to continue to support local theater. Uh, local movie theaters in your area. So um, since uh, Randy and I are in two different cities, we kind of want to promote two different uh, local theaters. Uh, so I'll go first. Uh, the Roxy Theater in San Francisco has uh, been around uh, for quite a while. It was um, you know, already kind of a, a staple in the area when I moved to, to the Bay Area about uh, 13 years ago. And I've done uh, quite a few shows there. I did a show with uh, Spinal Tap there. Uh, it was crazy. Uh, and then uh, we also had a monthly show that played in their little theater, uh, Talkies. Um, they're super nice um, and do a lot of great programming there. And if you go to roxy.com, R-O-X-I-E.com, uh, they'll show you their programming and they will show you how to buy a ticket for their virtual cinema. And Randy, similarly in OKC, you've got a theater as well. Yes. Do, wait, oh, but hold on. Back up. Did you, you got like Spinal Tap to come? The actual guys came? I didn't get them. I worked at a show where it was, it was uh, uh, Michael McKeon. Uh, uh, Harry Shearer. I've their names. Harry Shearer yes. and, and Christopher Guest. Uh, they were introing a movie. Oh, God. Um, who's the director who did Sullivan's Travels? Um, oh, Preston Sturges? Yes. It was a Spre Preston Sturges show, and they were there to, 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 be, to talk about the movie, and I was recording it. So I have a recording of that that never got released. Oh, um, that's, that's, so, still, that's freaking awesome, though. That's yeah. Very cool. And the theater I would like to represent also does very cool stuff like that. Rodeo Cinema. I work there, actually, or I did until all this cool stuff started happening, but I will work there again, maybe, unless I get a different job somewhere else. But <laughs> if, say, the theater reopened tomorrow, it won't, but, you know, in a month or so, and I still don't have a job, I'll go back to work there. I love that theater. It's in Stockyard City. It's like just Stockyard City is like one street, basically, in Southside <laughs> Oklahoma City. But it's a cool nonprofit 
Art House Theater. It's the sister theater of Circle in Tulsa, Oklahoma, if you're familiar. And uh, it opened August 2018. It's been going strong. And we're also doing the the virtual cinema thing right now. It's They've been doing that for, I don't know, about a month or so. I got a lot of good friends that work up there. The theater does a lot of cool stuff. Uh, we had Joe Bob Briggs come through. We were able to awesome. show, yeah, we were able to show the um, the one night engagement of the the house that Jack built, that Lars von Trier movie, like in its uncut form. We were able to oh, wow. show that, and like there's, this is like some cool stuff that Rodeo has been able to do and bring to Oklahoma City. So yeah, definitely support Rodeo and support Roxy and Berkeley. And what, what's what's a uh, Rodeo's uh, website? It's a uh, yeah RodeoCinema.org. And yeah, you can do the virtual screening stuff. It's just kind of a way to watch a new movie, but also contribute to the theater. And yeah, Very cool. Very yeah, cool. A lot of theaters. So if you are, if you know the independent theater in your area, uh, get hooked up with them. Find their website. See if they're doing this because uh, it's a great way of, of uh, uh, checking them out and and supporting them. Um, so if you're in the Bay Area, the Roxy is a good one. But there's a ton of theaters out here. And if you're in OKC. Um, Rodeo Cinema, which I've kind of I've I've learned about through you, Randy. That seems like a really cool theater out there. Oh yeah, um, and you used to live here. I mean, you know what it's like when you want to see a movie <laughs> like that in a theater. You yeah. art museum or nothing, kind of. And now we have we have something else. So yeah. Uh, when I moved out here, I think I lived at the Castro Theater for about two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I would just. Man. Yeah, uh, my first movie I saw there was White Dog. Um, White Dog. I was Hell like just yeah, dude. walking down the street and I saw on the marquee White Dog, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> and uh, that was before it got released on video, and I was like, "What?" Uh, and I had been there. I had been in in California for like a month, and it was oh like man, crazy. That's, just, that's yeah. so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Um. So, uh, getting into the movies, I want to say up at the very top. Uh, I do want to do a trigger warning for the next two episodes. Um, we're going to be reviewing a couple of movies that have some content in there that could be disturbing to some listeners. So I just want to give a warning uh, at the very top. Uh, the movies, of course, are Baby of Malcone uh, that we're reviewing uh, today and next week, Killer Joe, uh, which both contain uh, scenes of sexual violence that some listeners might find uncomfortable. So if you don't want to hear our review, we're going to start with the reviews of both of those movies each week. Uh, if you want to skip past those, we will have the time code in the show notes here where you can skip to it uh, and uh, just uh, avoid the the reviews of those movies altogether. So we do want to uh, have you stick around for the other reviews that we have later on uh, in the episode, as well as our recommendations uh, for movies that we watched. So we'll let you know where you can skip to to avoid those. And with that said, Randy. Yes, with that said, and with that said too, I think if you uh, have a strong stomach and you like crazy stuff, you should try to watch these movies because they're good. But uh, yeah, for sure, no, we definitely we we want just want everyone to know what's what's up. Anyway, uh, the baby of McCone. Um, it's a Peter Greenaway movie. He is uh, a British auteur. Very, you said this is the first Greenaway movie you've seen. 
Yeah, I had been aware and, you know, in film school, you watch a lot of clips of a lot of movies and we watched not this one, but uh, the cook, the cook. Beef, yeah. beef, his wife and, and her lover, which is kind of uh, thematically similar to this movie. Yeah. And it's directly before this, too. Right. I think stylistically, it's, it's actually kind of similar too. I don't I was just trying to think of like before we were talking about this i was doing a little research but i was also trying to watch another movie we're going to be talking about um next week actually but uh um like what i don't know what you'd call this style because it sort of reminds me of the fantasy sequences of the red shoes and tales of hoffman i guess it kind of reminds it gives me a powell pressburger vibe just these insane oh wow okay i know i know i'm getting way off Peter Greenaway. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just like, it's so hard to tackle. It's, it's There's crazy. a lot this, going on in this movie. Yeah. It is. Um, okay. Just plot wise. <laughs> the Baby McCone is about this uh, town in France, McCone, and they have, um, there's um, nobody's having children and there's famine. And... Um, there's a baby is born and it's like some perceived to be a sign of a miracle and like crops will flourish again or whatever, et cetera. But it's born to this really old, ugly woman and her daughter decides to take the baby and claim it's hers as virgin birth. And that sets off this entire, it's kind of just about power and corruption and just like levels of power and uh, hypocrisy of religion, and I don't know. It's a very yeah. weird, it, crazy movie. It's, it's very intense, and I want to even go outside of that plot. The framing device of this movie is that uh, the, it's a theater production uh, in, I don't know, the 1500s, and the, the Medici think, family is there. Cosimo yeah, de Medici is there watching and also the, the the Medici's are serving as like a chorus to the actual production of the play. And then there's an audience that you see watching the play and it's just full of people. And so it really, but at times it's like crossing the barriers of this is existing in the world of the people that are watching the play versus this is happening in the world of the play. So on top of the <laughs> metaphorical story that's going on, the the passion play of, of of sorts there's this other like layered stuff that's going on and even though the de medicis are in the audience they're also part of the play and they're also part of the movie um yeah and, and that's why i was rambling at the beginning because it's hard to yeah it's kind of hard to d describe because the, the storyline is just yeah a very small part of it and then also, I mean, just the sets and the way the sound design and all the choreography and everything that's packed into every frame and the colors and everything, it just, it really must be seen to be believed. Like, it's truly, it's unlike anything I've ever seen, honestly. Yeah. When you suggested this, it was like, okay, this is like a two-hour um, Greenaway movie. And I'm like, oh boy, I got to really prepare myself for this. <laughs> And I had a very busy couple of weeks and I was like, oh, I got way behind. And I was like, I got to fit this in somehow. It was not the hardest selection to watch. It was probably the easiest selection to watch. 
because right from the get-go, it just like draws you in and you just want to see where this thing is going. You want to see yes. who these people are, what, where they take it. And then the design of the entire thing where much of the movie is being done in single takes with a moving camera and, you know, and, and using the, the camera uh, movement as an editing device in what you should pay attention to. And that was fascinating. Plus, you got the costumes, you got the set design, and you just have this, like, very crazy performance going on. Yeah. And it's the just story like, is insane. Yeah. And I think... Well, even from from the get-go, you have, like, that that dude on the swing. And that's, that's like, like, Terry Gilliam or something. That's, like, yes. Jabberwocky or something. Yeah. Or, like, uh, Mon- uh, Holy Grail, you know? Yeah. Like... It's, but it's a little more grotesque and not as like funny. It's like, yeah. I mean, it is sort of humorous, but in a way darker way, I guess, than Monty yeah. Python ever was. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a lot going on. There's, um, you know, it's, it's this baby is born and the the daughter takes it and she's a virgin and so she's saying it's a virgin birth and so and it's Julia Ormond and she's freaking so this is like a powerhouse performance and she, she I guess hates this movie she hates I the guess. movie yeah. which is incredible i mean i can understand her reasoning but like she owns the movie though oh my like, gosh she's so fuck, good dude. yeah yeah it's like you i haven't seen a performance like that in in quite a while yeah um where where she's able to take that and and just how maturely she's able to 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 deal with it and um yeah it's it you know she's she's acting as this mother and definitely in the wrong for what she's doing but not the only person in the wrong no and she not is deserving. like zero to 60 corrupt and cruel though like but she, also not deserving of her fate and um i think that's the big scene that, right. that people kind of that want to um talk about this that kind of drove people out of the theater is what ends up happening to her at the very end but before that happens she uh gives her gross dad a woman just throws him in his weird bedpan to rape, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. And then this dude comes and he's trying to like, everyone's trying to like get help from her when it, it flashes like four years later. And like the, the, the child is now, it's basically, he's being worshiped like Christ and she's yeah. Mary. And, but she like, she like basically like gives his daughters away to become prostitutes or something. It's like, it's just like horribly cruel. Yeah, and it's shit. It, she does like a bunch of really bad stuff. So yeah, it's like people are, are bringing are bringing things in to say like bless my crops so they'll all have a, a a fruitful year. Bless my livestock so that you know they'll come out plump and and filling instead of diseased and dying. And sh- and she's you know requesting payment for these things. And so for livestock, yeah, she like the the farmer the. The pig farmer has like three, four daughters or something. And he's like, and she says, you know, three of them have to go into prostitution and one has to go to a nunnery and then you can have a fruitful year. So, uh, yes. Yeah. It's like, or, or cash or just like straight up cash. And 
so she just kind of gets a big head about it. And meanwhile, you got this bishop who's dude from Clockwork Orange and uh, The Shining, the the butler guy mm-hmm. from The Shining, uh, who has a son who's who's Ray Fiennes. First movie. I think it's the second movie. Oh, I, okay. I read the second, but very early on. But then like, he goes immediately on to do Schindler's List, I believe. Did right? he do that the next year? I think so. Wow. Holy shit. Um, so let's see. So he's, he seems to be like a man of science um, in, the, in the way that like the learned religious person of Europe at that time of the, uh, of the Renaissance. Yes. Um, so taking that, that on and at first kind of saying that the idea of a virgin birth is not uh, acceptable <sighs> That it either is not her baby or she's a whore and, you know, not a virgin. Uh, and which he's right. You know, he's totally right in that. He totally sees through that. Uh, but is tempted by her uh, in a barn to first inspect her virginity and then take it. Mm-hmm. Which, caught, which uh, in which case he is uh, gored to death, the, the baby... Uh, commands a bull to gore him to death. And when the baby commands and talks, it's this guy singing. In a booth. And it's really fucking weird. And it's it's so eerie and yeah. crazy. I mean, I know that you're probably listening to this if you've never seen this movie or have any real concept of what it is. And just like, what the fuck are they talking about? It is truly as wild as we're talking about. And we're not, we're telling you everything that's happening in it and we can never spoil it. Honestly, could never spoil no. this movie. Uh, and, and it's really interesting reading about Greenaway after watching this and seeing what his views on cinema is. And, you know, he's kind of a, he's kind of an asshole about it with, but in a good way, (laughs) uh, a way I kind of like, um, and you know, he's like, if you want to tell stories, like go write a book, film is a visual medium and you have to treat it that way. Mm -hmm. And this is very much telling much of the story through the visual medium of film versus through dialogue, you know, showing and not telling. And, you know, and doing that through movement of the camera, through, uh, these very long takes that are always adding more to the story and moving the story forward. Um, and so I'm very much now interested in fully watching the, uh, the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover because absolutely, of that. I it's really want to watch that now and the rest yeah. of his like library, even if it's not something filmed like this. Um, uh, the belly of an architect, you'll get this kind of a similar vibe out of and honestly the draftsman's contract this is his first movie i just re- i just watched that the other day his vibe is there but it's not yeah. as it's not as immersive as this is yeah so i think that that uh this movie and uh the cook are mm-hmm. both theatrical set pieces versus mm-hmm. i started watching belly of an architect today mm-hmm. and that is very much you know you're in the location uh but right. you're also like in front of these classic pieces of architecture yeah i mean it has his styles there still but yeah he didn't have the resources to do this like yeah. i can't believe that's another thing about this movie is like it's just like how, how much does this cost you know like i don't feel like it, they would ever a make a movie, movie like this now it, without computer it, effects and stuff 
There's it no computer so, effects in the movie. No, I was thinking that same thing. It's like they did all this without sign, uh, uh, like crazy special effects. It's all like costuming. It's all there's like an eight minute take in there where the camera is moving and there are actors in every piece of that shot. Multiple actors. You're not following one person. You're following like different strands of dialogue. And this is the scene where they go first into the church and then the baby is then killed. You know. Okay. So you, okay. Let's let's back up. I we got derailed again. The yeah, bull, yeah. the baby's like killed a guy or whatever, right? And the bull yeah. does. Ray Fines gets gored. That's yeah. where we're at, right? <laughs> yeah. Ray Fines gets gored, uh-huh. and uh, she kills the bull, even though the baby tells her not to. He's like, I He's can't like, protect you. It's, yeah. it's weirdly sung by that guy. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's another <laughs> thing. It's like the. The baby never speaks. It's always being spoken through some, like, divine voice. And it's like, I can't protect you. Yeah. One sec. But, um, we're talking full frontal nudity from both actors in this scene, too. This movie is wild. Yeah. Um, it's, uh. So anyway, yeah. She is sentenced to death or whatever. Well, even kind no, of before I ru- that. No, I ruined it. Damn it. No, yeah, she's edit, not. Edit what, I, edit what I said out just now. <laughs> no, she's like exiled and the custody of the child is taken in by the church, uh, by the bishop, who then just starts selling fluids from the boy. Pee, yes. blood, and tears, and sweat. And... um you know, a piece of a prick of blood on a, a piece of gold cloth is like four thousand dollars. Starts at four thousand dollars, and it's a big money making operation for the church. And um, people are like, "Oh, he's torturing the boy to make him cry or make him bleed," and you know, torturing this boy to um, to get shit out of him to sell. Yeah. And prior to all this, after she killed that bull and before it was the boy was taken into the church, they gave him, like she was saying, like, after she got found out, she's saying, like, come to me, and the boy is refusing. Um, so the boys rejected her, and because of that, she sneaks into his bedroom and suffocates him with a pillow. And for, yes. that, for that is why she's sentenced to... to be executed. Thank but, you. I was jumping ahead. No worries. No, there's a lot, and it's kind of hard to get. We have uh, one more thing I really want to talk about. Yeah. Anyway, but go on, please. No, no, no go ahead. Well, um, well, when she's, they're like, we want to execute her or whatever. Yeah. It, um, they can't because they can't execute a virgin. Yeah. Town she laws. Is a virgin says you can't execute a virgin. All right. Well, what I wanted to talk about is Cosimo. Mm-hmm. The performance, that guy, he has no... I can't find too much about him on the internet. That is one of the most insane performances I've ever seen. He's like a weird baby. He's just... He has like this huge wig on. He's like, what are they do? I don't... He's just like... He has sort of like a weird... Like Michael Jackson, alien, <laughs> pedophile, like yeah, it's like it's like he's five years old, but he's like thirty or something, and it's just so fucking disturbing. 
Because he's like, the baby is born. They should name it after me. Yes. Is this what and it's like when people are born? When Jesus Christ was born? Um, he, but also, uh, quite importantly, uh, it's in the scene where it's just after the, the, the daughter kills the boy. Um, it, they're trying to say um, she deserves justice. You know, she needs, you know, we need to, to execute her or do whatever. And they're deciding on that. Cosimo then steps into the play and whispers into the bishop's ear. And that is when he decides what to do with her. Yes. And so it's that element of this person who is viewing the, the play in the movie, making a decision about what is going to happen to this person within the play. And then we yeah. find out also that what is happening to her in the play is also what is happening to the actress in the movie. Uh, and yeah. so that is also a piece that is very controversial. Um, so should we get into that? What happens? Yeah. So what Cosimo's childlike, like justice. And like after he sets this into motion, he's like, Oh, was this a bad idea? And it's just like, Oh my God. It's like, it's so darkly humorous, but like, it's like true, like horror to me. Yeah. That kind of stuff to me, when, Someone is like an adult or has the agency of like superpower, but they have the mind of a child mm -hmm. and they are cruel like a child is one of the most disturbing things to me. Like boy and little monsters or the little blonde boy in um, the Game of Thrones yeah. TV show. I, I mean, I love that kind of stuff, but that is just ultimately this is so disturbing to me. Yeah. It's just like... People like that having immense power and like so anyway, what his plan is, is to have the whole army rape her. Yeah, the and militia. Then they, and then they can execute her because she will no longer be um a virgin. And, and they so, have the church bless each soldier and forgive them for what they're about to do. Prior to. Yes. Before going into the bed. And that that scene develops in a way where I didn't quite realize what was going on because it's like tracking everything. And you see these guys like taking a shower, um, being naked, doing like acrobatics and stuff. And then you see the yeah. bed and then you see her like getting held down. You get the reveal that because you've had a few scenes backstage where they refer to the daughter as an actress. They take a step mm -hmm. out very briefly. And so this is another one of those scenes in the bed where they're holding her down and they're saying, you wanted this part and now you're going to play it uh, before she is raped for real, mm -hmm. um, both in the play and as an actress in the, in the movie. And they represent the amount of, of people that are doing this to her by showing this like checkerboard with these like yes. red posts. And that is where I was really starting to get it. I'm like, holy shit, because it's a long shot of spinning around these posts. And yeah. you get to. And that's really what the cover of the movie the poster yeah. is, too. And yeah. you don't know what that is when you see it, but yeah. Yeah. And it's just like you get to understand the sheer number of times this is happening to her. So. And, <sighs> and the, the Medici's are counting, they're taking sheets of paper with numbers on them, they're like poking him on a sword, counting. And then kind of in the middle, you have this 
a really incredible set piece come out where it shows the mother and father killing themselves. Um, and, and someone coming through the curtain saying that the blame, uh, that the sins start with the mother and the father, um, who are also bad. Well, the father at least is the real father is a bad person because he is also trying to profit at the very beginning of selling like potions and stuff. He's like uh, a terrible, awful yeah. person. Yeah. The mother is a complete victim slave. Yeah. Yeah. At, from the very bunch. beginning. Yeah. Um, and, and ultimately really is the only one that I saw who did nothing wrong um, outside of not standing up for herself and being, you know, but yeah. completely victimized for this entire thing and almost forgotten about completely. Um, yeah. Cause even the, the baby's like, Hey, bull, gore this guy. Yeah. Like, to what end? Why? Yeah. You know, just don't have sex with my mom, I guess. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I guess this this gang rape kills the, the woman before she can be properly executed. Just the trauma of it, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, that ultimately her. is her execution. Yeah. Yeah. And so... What is left then is the burial and the, you know, the funeral of this boy, which is also fucked up because yeah. you want to, you want to explain what happens? Uh, well, they just are like, give me, like, go ahead. You explain it. Okay. So the, the people start taking off these robes and, and jewels that are gifted to him at the very beginning of the movie. Um, so these are like gifts because he's a special boy. He's the first boy uh, of, of the of the pestilence, you know. And so they start taking him and saying they are blessed objects. And when they run out and when he is completely naked on the slab there, they start like scalping him and taking his hair. They start mm-hmm. cutting off his fingers and toes and his feet and his body parts and his legs. And they just dismember him completely because they need a piece of a relic of this of this miracle boy and um it's pretty sick it's it's crazy yeah and i want to transition this into a story about uh a time i was in a barber shop uh, out here and i was getting my hair cut and this kid from i think he was at the at the college uc berkeley and he just like will not shut up He's this weird kid and he will not shut up. And it turns out he's like some weirdo uh, right-wing Christian guy. And not like a, uh, not like you guys got out there in Oklahoma, not like a Southern Baptist, but like more probably Anglican-ish or Catholic light or something, something way more traditional. Okay. And so he was like going on about how there's Satanists in Berkeley, Satanists at Berkeley High. And then he starts talking about how, about how the, this relic that he has in his home. <laughs> and he's like talking about this relic. The kid's like maybe 22. And he's talking about this relic that he has and what had happened. And he tells the whole story. What had happened is that he went to the Holy Land and he bought this piece of cloth that had touched another piece of cloth that had touched a bone of a saint. And so he's saying that he has it, he has it. And the, and the barber is like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Where'd you get it? And he like kind of stutters for a minute. He's like, Oh, God gave it to me. God meant for me to have it. I'm like, dude, you bought it. You bought that thing. 
you bought it from a gift shop from a guy who is like, <laughs> this is, this is a, you know, third, you know, there's, there's certain things where it's like objects that have touched objects that have touched objects. So they're holy through that. And it's just like, this guy is probably out there just hawking them to American tourists, you know, mm-hmm. 365 days a year. It's like, yeah, this totally touched a bone. <laughs> and it was totally a holy bone, dude. <laughs> so there's like there's totally a market for this shit and i remember like reading canterbury tales in high school and there's like a preacher character who has like yeah i got splinters of the true cross or whatever oh it's just like pieces totally of wood. so and this reminded totally me really of reminded me of that this reminded me of canterbury tales man there's that one story it's like one of the more anti-semitic stories unfortunately i hate to bring it up but with a little boy is murdered when he walks through the Jewish neighborhood because he's singing Christian songs or whatever. But they um, they cut his throat and throw him down a well. But his body continues to sing like something. Oh, okay. And they pull his body out and it sings for like, I don't know, some certain amount of time until like justice. I don't, I don't exactly remember <laughs> the whole deal. I took Chaucer like about a year and a half ago and I cannot wait to forget all that stuff but you know it just sort of reminded me about of that kind of shit and yeah it's fucked up and i think uh aronofsky and mother he kind of he kind of bit it bit that a little bit when oh did he really yeah because the baby gets carried over the crowd and then the crowd tears the baby apart oh my god mother's a a good movie too i liked but i'll uh, watch that eventually so yeah we should probably wrap it up on this one if we got another one to cover for yeah yeah uh, so, um, let's give this one a rating. Uh, what did you rate this movie? I give it a full five stars. Full five I just stars? think it's a, it's an absolute fucking visionary masterpiece. It's, it's extremely rough subject matter. I think it's actually, I know, uh, cook the thief, his wife and her lover is NC 17 for real. I think this maybe was not even ever released in America and then prime just happens to have it. Yeah. Sorry. It's on Amazon, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, I gave it four and a half stars. So almost a perfect, um, quite good. Uh, for you, that's high. That's really high for me. Uh, so really enjoyed it. Was incredibly compelled. Uh, watched it with Jen, my wife. And, uh, she was also compelled to, and you know, a lot of movies I watch, she just leaves for and, um, with good reason. I mean, it's like, right. Sometimes I'm just watching it for me and it's very difficult. Um, it was something compelling enough that, you know, she stuck around for, for, you know, uh, 90% of it, I think. Cool. Um, but yeah, uh, very much recommended. Just be ready for it. Be aware of what it contains. Uh, yeah, it's not for kids movie. at all. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's um, like one of the most not for kids movies. I also think kids would be extremely bored by it. Oh, yeah. I watched it like now and not when I was younger because like the idea of watching this on a VHS tape on, a, on a, one of my small oh, TVs yeah. in my bedroom. No, yeah, yeah. And, you got to watch it crystal clear, widescreen, and yeah. it is a, it's truly adult only and not just in content. It's like the subject matter. It's like... You have to be an adult to really appreciate it and yeah. understand it, I think. And yeah. yeah. It's it's a great, a terrific movie. It really is. I, I really, I loved it. So Cool. Uh, so let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to review the stuff. The stuff. 
Hi, I'm Jacob. And I'm Annie. Have you ever enjoyed a palaver? Is it good to be the dog's dinner? Who is this Bob, and why is he your uncle? For the answers to all these questions, you'll have to listen to our podcast, Boo to a Goose, breaking down British and American expressions and idioms. We use them, define them, and explain their history, all in a short, digestible format. So go ahead and check out Boo to a Goose wherever you get your podcasts. Cheerio! That means goodbye. rather have a day job than be a Pokemon master. Han Solo is clearly more attractive than Indiana Jones. I would take the Star Wars trilogy over the Matrix trilogy any time. The Legend of Zelda versus Super Mario. Who's better in bed, Jafar or Gaston? And would Thanos masturbate with the Infinity Gauntlet or not? Every week, Nerd Rage The Great Debates brings you the funniest comics, writers, and podcasters to settle some of geekdom's most divisive topics. Find us on Spotify or wherever you find podcasts. Hey, welcome back. It's me, Randy, Big R Hire. Um, our next movie is The Stuff. And the Stuff. Will, why don't you take it away on this one? Uh, the Stuff. The Stuff is one that uh, I always dug looking at the video cover in the video store. And, um, you know, it's available. It's one of those ones. It, in I think we kind of talked about it in another episode uh, about how streaming... Uh, for all the bad that it is kind of doing to freaking mortar like uh, video stores and stuff that I really miss, um, it does have a lot of this content that was kind of a staple of the um, of the video store, and your access to it is a little bit um, easier to to watch. You know, it's like you know, anytime you went into a video store, you were kind of taking a risk on a on a movie like this that you may be renting, and it's like it costs you. X amount of dollars. Do you want to, you know, if you get a late fee on it, is it worth it? Um, that being said, I always liked renting this movie uh, at a video store, and I'm glad I can find it easily. It's like this and Killer Clowns always seem to be on uh, streaming somewhere, and it's kind of nice to have those two uh, <laughs> oh, staples yeah. available. Uh, so this is from 1985. It's uh, Larry Cohen, and um, Really a kind of a classic silly creature feature that I absolutely love with. Um, it's not a slasher movie, which is something I'm really interested in. It's a weird living being invading people. It's a melt, a melt movie. A bit of a melt movie. Yeah. Um, so the big premise of this is that oh, it's got like uh, Michael Moriarty with a southern accent and a <laughs> weird southern accent, and then Garrett Morris. Uh, always nice to see him kind of like pop up. Yeah, uh, I think one of the only only movies with him. He's a pretty. He did big quite role. a few. Yeah, uh, I thought he was in something, but that was someone else. But he was on Martin for a while. He was like oh, Martin's okay, boss at WZUP. Uh, so this is uh, what happens in this movie is that, I don't know, like a petrochemical company finds this uh, stuff in the ground. <laughs> yeah, just and like it, it, shit it just, seeping out of the ground. It's just like this white stuff. And then this guy's <laughs> like, hey, what's this? Mm, that tastes pretty good. Hey, come here. And they like they start eating it and it tastes good. And they're like, yeah, why don't we sell it? And, you know, smash cut, you know, eight months later. Um, suddenly there's a whole marketing campaign around the stuff and it's kind of like a yogurt type thing. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves the stuff. It's so good. And, 
Um, meanwhile, Michael Moriarty is, I don't know, he's like some renegade consumer advocate guy or... It's corporate, corporate espionage. Oh, is that what... It, okay. He's working for like an, uh, a rival company or Yeah, okay. Like, or he, yeah. he's involved because like, that's what Garrett Morris is like, an ice cream man. And he's like, no, he's a, me out of business. He's a cookie guy. Huh? He's like, a, he's like a, a cookie famous, guy. My bad. Famous, like famous Amos type Amos. character. Yeah. God. Chocolate he's, chip Charlie. But, um, yeah, Michael Moriarty is, he's working for, um, sweet treat companies that are taking a huge hit from the stuff. And so the stuff is like replacing everything and eat like all meals. And the real main character is a little boy, though. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So what's ha- what starts happening is that the little boy kind of discovers that the stuff crawls out of its container in the fridge. And that starts him on, you know, being a conspiracy theorist. Nobody believes him. And people are like junkies for it. Oh, and yeah. Eventually his parents just have, that's all they have in the fridge. Yeah. Is the stuff? Am I wrong about that? Yeah, yeah that's that's what happens so, yeah, when they yeah. get totally infected with it, and um, he's like, "It's alive!" And the dad's like, "Hey, man, don't you know that yogurt is alive? Has a living culture in it?" <laughs> uh, which he's not wrong, but like, this is like alive to the point of it's taking over the people, and I don't know if it's actually replacing them or just kind of like mind melding with them and controlling them. Um, no, because as we learn at the end, we see what happens ultimately. They to kind Garrett of like Morris. They, he just melts, he like falls apart. I think that's what happens to every. I think yeah. they imply that that's what's happened to everybody. But I don't know if it's like an invasion of the body snatchers thing, where they're melting like the person, and then I don't think the stuff ha- is sentient. Okay, I feel like the stuff is just. A, a weird bacteria that is ultimately will make your body melt. Yeah. Make, well, it's just like, because like, like it crawls out of, I don't know. <coughs> it does yeah. crawl around. So I don't, I don't know. It's kind of like the, see, it's, it's not really formed and it kind of doesn't take itself too seriously. I don't think it has a plan. No. Necessarily. Yeah. And it's all kind of just a way to get people to run around and be like, what is it? What is it? Um, so, in his plot to kind of get this stuff, he he finds the boy, Michael Moriarty does. He finds a woman who uh, kind of builds the whole campaign to sell this stuff. And they're trying to get more info. He's trying to get more info about what is in it. And nobody knows. Nobody's going to give him a straight answer. And they're protected by the FDA. Uh, so... Uh, and then eventually, so he gets hooked up with like chocolate chip Charlie. Uh, he fucks off for a while, comes back, turns out he's infected by the stuff, melts. He lied. He lied. He's like, I did eat the stuff. Yeah. And he's, as he melts. And that's quite an amazing, when Garrett Morris melts, that's like, it's kind of the, the money shot. It is. It's the, it's the shot you always see. Uh, it was on the cover or on the back cover. Anytime you Google an image, it's like the Garrett Morris puppet with the stuff coming out of his throat. And um, it's pretty gruesome, but also awesome. It's uh, very good. It's very cool. Uh, and so in the very end, he kind of like Michael Moriarty enlists this like right wing militia, <laughs> uh, like full on like 
Montana Freeman uh, style militia and they invade the stuff facility. Yeah. And kind of take it over. And. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, I remember the, at the very end. And then they make the they make the like the, the they CEO. make the the CEO and the CFO or whatever the big wigs in the company that he's like you're gonna sit here and eat the stuff you're gonna smoke all these cigarettes yeah no basically at yeah. the end that is what he does he's like as your punishment yeah which is and going it, to kill it, them it fucking rules yeah like yeah Michael Moriarty is so awesome dude I know he's kind of like isn't he kind of like a nut job, like politically, he's kind of like a really like a weirdo. I think so. Life. Yeah, but I mean, Law and Order is great, but just he's sort of like um, Cullen's like De Niro in this era because he's in Return to Salem's Lot and Q, Quetzalcoatl, the Winged Serpent, which is that's maybe Cullen's masterpiece. I don't know. I haven't or, seen that. I think that one's on streaming right now. Oh, uh, really? You that? Oh man. Well, we'll get around to if we don't even even if we don't get around to it, just for your own enjoyment, I would watch Q the yeah. Winged Serpent. It's <laughs> fucking it's amazing. Uh but my favorite is God Told Me To, which is right before that. And that doesn't have uh Moriarty in it, but it damn it could have, you know. I almost yeah. watched it. That was that was on Criterion. I just got pulled off. Uh oh, really? I, I had it on my uh, list. I think I got pulled off before I got to I would it. love it if they Blue Underground put out a pretty good edition of that. Um I got it on like a Witches and Demons 12 pack at Walmart for like five bucks. It was just like, it was in the mix on there. I was like, oh, fuck. And that's why I bought it. But then, yeah, Blue Underground put out a Blue Rabbit, but I'm sure they could master it, make it even better. I like God Told Me To a lot. I like Q a lot. I like the stuff a lot. I've always thought the stuff is kind of like, and Return to Salem's a lot. I've never watched, um, never watched that one. I have it on VHS actually. It actually has Sam Fuller in it. We were talking about Sam Fuller earlier. Uh, <laughs> and that has Michael Murray already, too. But um, this movie... Fuck. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I love it. I love Michael Moriarty in this movie. His performance in this is just like... It's just... And in Q. And I can only assume Return to Salem's Law. It's just a good example of like... How when you really bring some weird personality to something, it elevates the movie. I think he's sort of, he's not as like, as crazy as like Crispin Glover say, but he mm -hmm. is that kind of a vibe. He brings that kind of, his own weird energy to the movie. And I, I really, I really like Michael Moriarty as an actor and I, in this movie in particular, he's like really good. That final scene where he makes those guys eat the stuff, it's like, <laughs> damn, I, don't know, I, I, I love, I love him. Well, kind of going on that, it's, it's always really nice when you have a director and actor or a, or a, a stable of actors who are very comfortable working with each other. And, you know, the Coens have kind of their stable of, of actors, uh, mm -hmm. the Cohen brothers. I mean, not Larry Cohen, but, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the, the Cohen brothers do have their stable of actors that they bring in over and over again, who they write for, you know? And so versus a Crispin Glover, you rarely get him working with a director more than once. Um, 
That's a really good point. Because he's very difficult to work with. True. Um, so, I would liken Moriarty Cohen to like Kinski Herzog or something. Do they hate each other though? Because it's like well, I don't I don't know if they hate each other, but just like kind of what he gets out of mm-hmm. Michael Moriarty, and I think Michael Moriarty is a difficult person. Is he? And I <laughs> assume Larry Cohen is kind of a, a weird dude, probably. But I don't know. It is it is like a legendary ma- – I really encourage everyone to watch this movie and the other two I mentioned because it's like a legendary team-up for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, rating time. I'll, I'll go first on this one. I gave this one four stars. I really Dang. enjoy watching it. Um, it's kind of fun. It's silly. Um, another one that's really good for mixed company uh, is, you know, just the silly factor. It's not really gory. It's a horror movie where people melt, but not too gory. Um, you know, you can have an older kid watch it uh, and be just fine. That's definitely when I saw it. Um, and I don't even know, is it rated by PG-13? Uh, no, it's rated R. Is it rated R? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Garrett Morris's death is brutal yeah. enough that, yeah, even though it's like puppetry and stuff, <laughs> it is, it's still... That is, to me, as a kid, was like, oh my! Like the more puppet-like it looks, the more <laughs> disturbing it was to me. Sort of, you know. But uh, but yeah, four stars uh, from me. So what do you? I'm gonna go ahead and give it three and a half. I'm surprised too that I am rating it lower than you <laughs> did. I don't know. It's not my favorite. It. Uh, it but I do really like it. It it sticks out though. S- yes, like for it's me, kind of slow like it in parts. Yeah, there's parts of it that are kind of slow. I love the first act of it is wonderful, and all the branding, the way the stuff looks, mm-hmm. like the logo for the stuff and all that shit. It's like it's awesome. There's like a neon sign in the commercial and all that shit, and like I love the the brother actor is just like such a 80s kid performance. You <laughs> they got to be like, like real brothers, right? Those two kids. I I, I wonder, you know, because yeah, it's I don't know, it's 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 good stuff. I like that all that stuff, and then the end is really satisfying. So yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. three and a three and a half is nothing to sniff your nose. I'd watch. That means I'd watch it again. But yeah, it's all it's on the cusp of me being like, well, maybe I don't need to see this again. <laughs> but I uh, I know I lo- I like this stuff. This stuff is good. Uh, well, very cool. So uh, now let's let's do some recommendations, uh, either based on the movies we watched or just stuff that you're watching recently that you got a, a bit of a kick out of. Oh uh, hell yeah! Well. For Baby McCone, there's not really any peer to it. I would say I mentioned Tales of Hoffman. It's the Pal and Pressburger movie. It's, I mean, it's not like that they're the same thing at all, but they just sort of, in terms of like doing something on a set and that on that level, I mean, mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam, I guess you could even say like, Playtime, the Jacques Tati movie or something. Oh, yeah. It's like an example. They're not the same thing, but it's an example of like an insane world being built in a set, yeah. you know, and just the way that it's filmed is so immersive and insane. Toys, the weird mm. 
Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Robin Williams movie. I think that that movie is not great, but it has some of the best production design I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I would say it's like, maybe that's one of the few movies I can think of that's really on the level of this. Um, It's like imaginative and insane, insane. Just, I don't know. The one that really came to mind for me was uh, Hard to Be a God, the 2013. Still haven't seen that, man. Oh, my God, dude. Uh, The Alexi German. It's his last film. Uh, And it's uh, there's another version out with with uh, it's a lot cheaper and it looks cheaper and it's got Werner Herzog in it. Um, It's very weird. But uh, the 2013 Alexi German version. Uh, it's a adaptation of a Strigatsky brothers uh, novel. So if you're uh, a big fan of Stalker, of Tarkovsky's Stalker, it's the same uh, source material. Uh, writers of the same source material, and um, kind of about a it, it's a weird sci-fi movie about uh, people scientists from Earth going to a nearby planet that has life on it, but they're about 600 years behind, so they're stuck in the Dark Ages and they're sent there to um, kind of push them towards modernity, but they can't use violence or can't just like say, Hey, here's how you do science. And they're up against kind of this, uh, hardline religious, um, leadership there who becomes more and more violent. And, uh, it's an incredible movie. It's in black and white and it's like very kinetic and a lot going on and also told very visually in the same way. Um, but uh, in black and white versus color, and a lot more snot and poop than Baby of Mekon. Uh So, <laughs> but if you if you enjoyed uh, uh, Greenaway, then you would definitely enjoy. If you can take that, you can definitely take Hard to Be a God. Hey man, I was reading about it the other day, and I realized I put it on a watch list, so maybe I'd read about it before. But I almost bought the Blu-ray sight unseen just reading the plot line of it i was like this looks fucking and i was reading i was just like well did people like this movie it's like it has like a insanely high rating you know not that i'm like you know with metacritic or uh or yeah. i don't like let that rule my life but you know you you look at it because it's right there it's like well what do people think about this you know it's yeah like, oh people love this movie so yeah i really want to see hard to be a god that's cool man it's really cool it's it's um yeah, I think you would get a kick out of it. Again, not for everybody, but uh, yeah. Um, so for the stuff, what did you have for the stuff? Well, all the Cohen movies, I think. And he's also, he did a lot of like black exploitation movies, which actually that's kind of a big blind spot for me uh, mm-hmm. with what I've seen. I haven't seen a lot of those and I haven't seen any of his movies, but I know he did some of the bigger ones. But yeah, I'd say all of his, like the stuff he did, the horror stuff he did, uh, Q, God told me to this, um, whatever. But, um, as ter- in terms of melt movies, I'd say this is like the most restrained melt movie. Mm-hmm. I actually happen to love, uh, street trash. Yeah. Which I, I think to me is the, the masterpiece of that genre. Like the crown jewel is street trash. That really takes it to another level as far as like, you know, the melting stuff is all white in the stuff versus street trash where it's like this crazy multicolored. They explode into rainbow colors. Yeah. yeah they melt into, and it's like grotesque and it, it street trash makes it 
seemed very painful. Oh, the stuff did too, actually. <laughs> but then there's a Body Melt is another movie. Yeah. I'm not huge. I'm not huge into Body Melt. And then all the trauma shit. I mean, yeah. whatever. I think trauma is good if you're like a a younger person. But to me, it's it's not something I like to revisit a lot. It's not something I have a lot of like love for anymore, honestly. I mean, I got trauma out of my system when I was, you know, by the time I was 13 or so, which Me I think too. is perfect. You know, right. I think I started watching it when I was like eight or nine. And then uh, by the time I was 13, I was kind of done with it. But I think that's a perfect time to get into trauma. Like, yeah. I think that's the movie. Was, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying the one I would go back to maybe for trauma is Tromeo and Juliet. And that one's not melt at all. Yeah. But like Toxic Avenger or Class of Newcomb High. That's what we're talking about. We're talking I really about love movies. Class of Newcomb High, the first one. That's probably the best one of the, yeah. the early period. It really does have that, um, uh, the, the David Lynch quality of just kind of like the appreciation of the, uh, mid, like, uh, suburban, like perfect couple because Class of Newcomb High is about like the perfect couple kind of getting involved in, uh, you know, she gets pregnant with this like mutant child that she throws up into the toilet at school. (laughs) I mean, come on. Uh, you know, kind of finding the dark side of, of this suburban area and what happens when, uh, I don't know, a nuclear power plant comes in and starts dumping toxic waste into the... Uh, it's just so stupid. That's yeah. the problem, is that it has literally, like, no brains at all. Like, whereas Street Trash has, like, allusions to, like, Huckleberry Finn and, like, I don't know. Street Trash is just so... is like, high art compared yeah. to anything that Lloyd Kaufman has ever touched. And Wood Kaufman is staunchly non-union and doesn't pay his people. Yeah. yeah so he's kind that. of like, and he's really abusive on set. Yeah. I mean, he, he says as much in his uh, book. Yeah. And that always kind of rubbed me there. I remember reading his book and be like, well, that was a fun, a fun book to read, but I don't know if I like Lloyd Kaufman anymore. You know, like knowing how he is. Yeah. It's like, I don't think you should be that way, you know, <laughs> especially if you're like staunchly non-union because you don't want to pay people because you need to be able to afford to show your movies on 35 millimeter until like his last two or something. I think Poultry Geist is maybe the first one he did digital and he like begrudgingly did it. Yeah. So, and that was one of the big reasons why he's like, I can't pay you because like, yeah. I need this extra money to pay for the film. Show my yeah. movie theatrically in like New York only. I don't fuck him. It's kind of an asshole, you know, but. But Romeo and Juliet, you got, uh, who directed that? That was. um, He did. No, James Gunn directed that. Um, James Gunn wrote it. I mean. I thought he directed it too. I think Slither is technically James Gunn's directorial debut. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. But I always thought that Romeo was done. I wonder how much, I mean, I think, well, no, I think Lloyd does direct because he, I don't know. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. But Lloyd, I mean, that movie is just kind of lightning in a bottle, and it's it's kind of special. Talk about a movie that's lifted up by singular performances. The guy who plays Cappy Capulet, he's written as one of the, like, just a disgusting character. It's like a trauma movie, but mm-hmm. the way the guy plays it is just so depraved, you know, like, <laughs> Fuck, he's like he's like a real Shakespearean. He's trained to do Shakespeare and stuff, and he was actively doing Shakespearean productions and shit. And like 
you can really tell like the quality of his acting versus everyone else. And he is, he is one of the most disgusting villains in any, I, I, it makes it very much worth watching to me. <laughs> that, and I remember when that one came out, it was on the heels of the, the Boz Lerman, Romeo and Juliet, um, movie, which took me time to see, like I eventually saw it and I'm like, Oh, I like that movie. And then I saw Tromeo and Juliet because I liked that movie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. um, I mean, for the most part, it is an adaptation of like Romeo and Juliet in the same way that uh, the Baz Luhrmann one was. It's very similar, although they had nothing. They didn't know. I mean, not, you know, I don't know. I think and I think technically I think he talks about this in his book. Like we actually went in production before we (laughs) they did or, you know, or something like that, like. It had nothing to do. It's not, I'm not like Corman, basically, mm-hmm. is what he's saying. Like, Roger Corman would do something like that, but I'm not cheap. I'm an artist. It's Whatever. like, fuck you, Lloyd, dude. <laughs> For real. Anyway. Well, cool. Uh, I think that about wraps uh, everything up. Uh, anything you want to announce, uh, plug, or anything else uh, otherwise? I don't. Uh, my band, Chat Pile, has a LP coming out on Reptilian Records. You can find that on their website or wherever uh, yeah i put the link yeah. in the last episode i'll put it in this one as well to the to the yeah. reptilian records and I, th- I i forgot to put your band camp on there as well i'll put that on there oh well, that's cool yeah all right that's uh, it. but yeah uh for me uh i'm doing the talkies show um talkies in uh the bay area every other friday now uh we've gone from a one month once a month show for the last five years or whatever to now twice a month over zoom uh so find me on uh instagram will.scoville it's in the show notes um and i will post links to that every time there's a new show coming up along with all my other podcasts that i do and spend all my time on uh because this is all i know how to do (laughs) so uh, find us on all on social media. Instagram uh, is the only one we have because I don't use Facebook or Twitter. And uh, also on Letterboxd, we're there. Uh, again, find everything in the show notes of this episode. Hell we'll be yeah. back n- next week with Killer Joe and the Green Hornet. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, Randy, I'll let you take us out on this one. Well, I think we all had a lot of fun today. I hope you listened to the, when we were talking about Peter Greenaway, check it out. I'm Randy Heyer. This has been Cathode Ray Mission. See you later. <laughs>